Hello, my friends. I'm so very proud of the monologue today. I think it's important. There's a little bit of investigative journalism on my part. You wouldn't think so, because I'm actually just dissecting a video produced by another journalist, Rachel Gilmore of Global News. But I paused it and freeze-framed it, and I read things on the page before they whisked by, and I found some incredible things. I think Rachel Gilmore is a liar when she says people are threatening to kill her. I mean, it's a shocking thing to lie about, but my God, I think I've got the proof. You're going to want to see this one. And when I say see this one, I want you to be able to visually see it because I freeze frame on her video to actually read the documents she's referring to. She did not redact them. And you learn a lot by freezing her video. I want you to see it. Go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. Eight bucks a month, you'll get all the videos associated with these podcasts. Please do that for this show. Rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. Eight bucks a month. You get my nightly show, plus we have other weekly shows by my colleagues here. But you don't want to miss the video for today's episode. I promise you that. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, a global news journalist cries on camera. But are they crocodile tears? It's December 7th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Here's a tweet from Rachel Gilmore of Global News. She says, I'm done. Free press is under attack. We won't be silenced, but we need you to stand up for us. Holy moly. Wow. And take a look at this. Hundreds of journalists retweeted. They came to her aid, a damsel in distress. Here's the Canadian Association of Journalists. They say, online harassment is a scourge on our democracy, and it needs to stop. We stand with Rachel Gilmore. Hmm. And so many more female journalists and journalists of color who are all too frequently subjected to this vile abuse. And they have a link. And then here's Pen Canada, one of my favorite groups. I'm a member of them. They say Pen Canada stands with Rachel Gilmore and her colleagues in Canadian media and journalism who are suffering relentless targeted attacks, threats of violence, online harassment, intimidation, and abuse for doing their jobs and being women and or IBPOC, press freedom. Okay. Now, studies show that men are actually attacked more online, just like they are in real life. And I'm using the word attack uh, in a nonviolent way. You can't actually suffer violence on Twitter. Um, I, I suppose you could have a threat, but uh, men are attacked more than women are. But still, what attacks does she mean? Because I don't like people being attacked. Do they mean something like what happens to our rebel news journalists on a regular basis? Here are a few attacks on journalists that come to my mind. Many of the attacks are actually at the hands of the police. Take a look. Are you kidding me? Get out. Get out. It's a public park. Come on! Don't touch me again, buddy. Here are the thugs! Here are the thugs! Here are the thugs! Shame! 
The reality is, organizations, organizations like yours, yours, that continue to spread misinformation and disinformation, I won't call it a media organization, your group of individuals uh, need to take accountability accountability polarization that we're seeing in this country. It's disappointing to see the Conservatives engage in peddling Engage in peddling rebel media, rebel media conspiracy theories. Je partage une perspective sur ton organisation hier soir. J'ai plus rien à dire. This is Soria's thug. You physically assaulted me, and so did you. And the likes of CBC and the other members of the media party, they're in there, they're reporting in the warmth, but they can't even give us the opportunity to ask one bloody question on a public sidewalk. Why the f are you here? We're working, well, sir. Because you guys are down the bridge. We want to know why. Why don't you f off? Here, there's for your f***ing membership. There's for your rebel news. Go f*** yourself, lady. Go f*** yourself. Go f*** yourself. Would you like me to turn it up? Here you go. Go f*** yourself. If you're no f***ing friend of native people, go f*** I am native. Go off playing that f***ing card. F*** you. Um, okay. You're telling me I'm playing a race card? Yeah, you are. Get the f*** out of here. F*** off. Oh, no. Are you yeah. playing hockey here? Or? No, I'm just coming to check in our facility. So okay, I'm gonna, man. we're gonna you check. You're, you're not supposed to be here, actually. Okay, okay I'll rest you. I have my. We already spoke to Darcy Henson. He said yeah. there should be no problem. What are coming? What? Sorry, why is that? Sorry, why? Now this is an administrative penalty notice. Oh, for for what? Yeah. This is for shaking hands with the public. No way. Fail to maintain a distance of at least two meters from another person. Yeah, I'm going to release you. Mm -hmm. You go back in the protest. Mm -hmm. You have to wear a mask. If you don't, you're going to be detained. You understand? Again, like this? No, you go to the police station. To jail, basically. To jail, yeah. Did Rachel Gilmore get attacked like any of those people? Did she get, did she get hit, God forbid, or kicked, or tripped, or punched like David Menzies was? Where, God forbid, was she shot like Alexa Lavoie, a woman? Uh, let's watch her video. I want to play the whole video. Uh, I'm not going to leave one second out. So you can hear for yourself what she's talking about. I'm a female reporter, and I have been receiving death threats for months now. My DMs, my replies on Twitter, my emails, this is what they look like every day. 
and it's not just me. People are targeting female and especially women of color journalists trying to silence our voices. Myself and my colleagues Erica and Saba have been on the receiving end of these for months and we've reported it to the police and so far nothing has happened. Meanwhile, we've been told that our photos were plastered to the wall of a garage and they were deciding which one of us they wanted to kill. And we're told that we're being stalked and I don't feel safe leaving my house anymore. Every day, it's like this, every day. When right-wing influencers talk about me, I get another one. There is racist, misogynistic, disgusting and threatening language in all of them. And our only crime is doing journalism. Free press is under attack and people need to pay attention and do something about it or one of us will get killed. Wow. So it sounds like she's received some very mean tweets and emails. And she described some of the messages, didn't she? She talked about photos plastered to the wall, a list of journalists to kill. She says she's being stalked. That's terrifying for a woman, for anyone. She says she can't even leave the house. Every day this happens, and she blames right-wingers. They're the worst. Now, like any dad, I am very susceptible to a young person crying. And I read one of those messages that she showed. Someone wrote, you could see it, I froze the image here. She says, I'll kill you, bitch. Better watch your back when you're in public. And, and a few seconds later, you, you can see an email from the Ottawa police telling her that she has been assigned a police officer to help her, a lead investigator, which suggests that there, there are more than one investigator. So I'm sympathetic if, God forbid, if someone would say that to me or my family or friends, I mean, if someone's saying, I'll kill you, I think the police should investigate. And as you can see, they are. But can I ask a few questions about global news monetizing and commercializing this story about publishing a tearful report about it? I mean, that's unusual, isn't it? I showed you a clip that had Alexa Lavoie crying in it, but she had literally been shot seconds earlier. You've, you've never seen Alexa go into the studio and read a script and cry on demand for a video and then put it up for clicks and ad money. That, that's a bit, I don't know the word, per performative, exploitative. That's the global news way. But still, you heard her. Rachel Gilmore says this happens every day. She doesn't even like leaving her house anymore. Except I happen to know that's not true because I, I, I did a show about Rachel Gilmore in part just last week when she did leave her house. She went to a blue chip, fancy people only panel at Carleton Journalism School. Uh, she was on a panel with some of the most important people in the media, the president of the CBC, the head of global news, her big boss, the bureau chief of CTV. These were the most powerful women in Ottawa media and sitting next to them was no one less than the Liberal Public Safety Minister, Marco Mendocino. So not only was she safe, she obviously felt safe because she was laughing and joking and talking about her favorite subject herself. Especially like white male journalists. A really tough question. Journalists were like constantly on Twitter. We're all about Twitter. So maybe I'll make a TikTok and park with my dog. I like pumpkin spice latte. Maybe because I'm annoying or maybe just because I'm a journalist. Maybe that's a little something to think about, you know? <laughs> she wanted to talk about herself and laugh and me, 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 me. Did she look terrified to you? But she said it happens constantly. And she showed that first message, didn't she? Except if you look there, if you freeze it, you can see it had a date on it, July 24th. 
that's a long time ago. It, it seems odd to cry today about a tweet from months ago when she was just yucking it up and laughing with powerful insiders just a few days ago. It, all, it almost seems like this video staged. Now, you can see the person who wrote that mean threat to her. You can see the name there. Tyson Martins 5. When she moves her head to one side, you can see Tyson Martins 5. So I went online to Twitter and I typed in Tyson Martins 5. And as you can see, it no longer exists. So it has been dealt with perhaps months ago. But she's making it sound like that just happened to her, didn't she? And that neither the police nor Twitter has done anything about it, but they, they obviously have. Why would she mislead people like that? That's, that's strange. And here's another message that she showed. At 18 seconds in, here's one that calls her an insulting name, an old crone, C-R-O-N-E. That's sort of an old-fashioned word. It means an old and ugly woman. Rachel Gilmore is obviously not old or ugly, but I get it. It's a mean insult in a long, long, ranty, crazy email. I, I get those. I get maybe 50 emails like that a day. Why read it and obsess over it? I mean, you're in the public square, you're going to get heckled. Um, she certainly heckles others in the public square. I mean, I wouldn't call her a crone, but she shows that email while saying someone is trying to silence her voice. Yeah, I don't think so. Just, just delete them and, and block them. They can't silence you. Why are you even reading your hate mail? But look at these two images she showed. Take a look. Meanwhile, we've been told that our photos were plastered to the wall of a garage and they were deciding which one of us they wanted to kill. Really? Now, I paused the video on that page and, and I read it, what she wasn't strategically blocking with her head. And you know what that death threat, threatened to kill, was all about? They were talking about the rude party game that teenagers and college kids play. It's called Mary, and I don't want to say this, there's a swear in the middle, Mary, F-U-C-K, kill. I'm going to say screw instead of F-U-C-K. The game's called Mary, screw, kill. It's a very rude game, but it's very funny. It's a game, a joke, typically played by drunk young people being risque, where one person lists three people, and you have to say which one you would marry, which one you would screw, and which one you would kill. Obviously, it's a rude joke. It's supposed to be an impossible. It's, it's a funny joke. It's a party game. Here, let, me, let me read what the actual email says, the part that she isn't blocking. She says, there really was a wall of photos in the garage, and it was like those things you'd see in detective movies with a hierarchy. They used electrical tape to connect the lines from the photos. Most of the ones on the top looked to be non-racialized men, but there was a lower tier of C words, I suppose that's a swear. Now it goes on, she's blocking some of it, but it sounds like some crazy gossipy weird story told to her by a rambling crazy friend. The person who's writing this is not threatening her. And it looks like they might be talking about something that was seen in Victoria, BC. Rachel Gilmore lives in Ottawa. But the kill part was the game, Mary Screw Kill. That's a joke. Everyone knows that's a joke. Rachel Gilmore knows that's a joke. She's pretending that people who play the drinking game, Mary Screw Kill, are, are going to come to kill her. So she's afraid to leave her house, even, even for a pumpkin spice latte. But in any event, this email, like I say, this was not a threatening email. It was reported by some kooky friend. 
So that's not a threat letter. That's a letter written by someone who is either gossipy or nutty, or, or maybe if it's true, could tell Rachel Gilmore where this imaginary gang compound is that has this list of white men and also gay dudes and, and some women. I'll tell you where that imaginary place is. It's in her imagination. But she did not believe that the gay Mary Screw Kill was actually going to kill anyone. Rachel Gilmore is lying. Okay, then the next one, remember this? And we're told that we're being stalked and I don't feel safe leaving my house anymore. Being stalked? Well, that's pretty serious. That would be scary. But what was the evidence she put on her page then? Well, another anonymous email. I'll, I'll read it to you, where the part she's not blocking. She says, just so you know, we've had people posing as stringers, infiltrating you guys across the country for years. Long before COVID came along, did you ever wonder how home addresses and hangouts of people leak out, including ones of health officials who were nobodies before 2020? And it goes on like that. A stringer, by the way, is, is someone who works occasionally uh, for a media company, sort of on a freelance basis. So some stranger write, is writing an email to Rachel Gilmore. She put it on the screen. And she says that this email writer, who's, I don't know, in some band of right-wingers or whatever, has actually been infiltrating global news like with fake employees called the Stringers for years now, going back to before the pandemic, so I guess like 2019, before I think Rachel Gilmore even worked there, maybe she was very new there, posing as journalists like some sort of Soviet sleeper cell in the West waiting to be activated do you really believe that? That the trucker convoy, or whoever she hates today, that three years ago, before the trucker convoy was even a thing, before there was even a pandemic, before there was a convoy, three years ago that these truckers, or whoever, infiltrated global news with fake journalists, and they are stalking her from within her own company. That's what that email says. And she is so terrified by that, that the stalkers are actually working right next to her in global news that she is literally crying. Rachel, you're a liar, sister. You're a liar. Here's another one. I'll read to you. Jesus Christ, is this seriously what you went to university to do with your life? Now, I can't see the whole letter, but I do not see any swears or threats. I just see that insult mocking her for her journalism. This is what she's terrified about. This is why she's crying. But back to that first message, that very first one, which, which I agree is out of line. That's, that's called a direct message on Twitter. It's the one that had the death threat in it, and I absolutely don't like it one bit. I think it should be investigated. Now, a direct message on Twitter, if you don't know, is like a private email but it goes through Twitter. So you can see some stranger has tried to contact her and you can see Twitter has prompted her. She can block him. That's what Twitter is prompting her to do, to block this guy so she never has to hear from him again. Why does Rachel Gilmore have her direct messages open to the public like that? It's like if you had a Facebook page and you let the entire world see your whole family as opposed to keeping it private. If you look at Rachel Gilmore's Twitter account, you can see that little email envelope thing, which means literally anyone in the world 
can send her a private message and it goes straight to her account. Why would she do that? I only accept private messages from people I follow in my direct messages, my friends or people I work with. Who on earth would leave their Twitter direct messages open to the whole world, especially if she says that people are having rude things to say to her for months, which apparently they have? That would be like leaving your door open and complaining that raccoons are coming into the house. Well, how about close the door? Like Twitter prompts you to do literally every day. It's almost like she likes it when this happens. She feels important. Almost like she thrives on it. She loves playing the victim. Almost like she's putting on a performance that her bosses love. She lied about the threat to kill her. That was the party game, Mary Screw Kill. She's a liar. She lied about police not helping. They obviously are. You can see that at least two officers are dealing with her. You can understand why they don't prosecute someone playing Mary Screw Kill. So you can't blame them for that. She's an exaggerator. That email that had the words Viva Fry on them didn't contain a single swear or threat. She just didn't like being told that she wasn't a good journalist. And the truth is, she isn't. I mean, this is her journalism. Are you going to invite your unvaccinated relatives to sit at the dinner table with you this Thanksgiving? Experts are saying you might not want to risk it. Here's why. According to one expert from McMaster University, vaccines are super effective, but they're most effective when you're surrounded by other vaccinated people. If you invite someone who isn't vaccinated, there's a risk of having a breakthrough case. Now, breakthrough cases are pretty rare. There's only ever been about 8,000 in Ontario, but kids can't get vaccinated yet. So part of keeping those kids as safe as possible is telling that one uncle who chooses not to get vaccinated that he might have to sit this one out. Yeah. But remember her girl power panel the other day? Remember what they wanted? They wanted the liberal government to criminalize people talking back to journalists in mean ways. Journalists can be mean to you. You just can't be mean back. We're not in a position to protect our journalists from this hate. And that's why I think the conversation has to be a bigger conversation. It has to be something that's talked about at a policy level, at a law enforcement level. Um, you know, we don't have the tools to actually, you know, go after these people. And almost like it was choreographed. Almost like it was planned the public safety minister responded to Rachel's tearful video. He said, the abuse that Rachel and other journalists have received, in particular women and people of color, is heinous and unacceptable. We'll continue working with journalists, media organizations, Canadian Association of Journalists, and law enforcement to address this issue and keep everyone safe. Almost like they set that whole thing up. Look, if reporters are receiving real death threats, they should be investigated. And we know that they are. Rachel Gilmore showed us an email from the Ottawa police to that effect. I want those investigations to happen. I think I want them to happen more than Rachel Gilmore does, because I want to know if these rude emailers are actually left-wing agents provocateurs. You, you know, Bernie Farber of the so-called Canadian Anti-Hate Network Remember, he falsely claimed that a particular racist pamphlet was being handed out in Ottawa by truckers when, in fact, it was a photo from Florida. He was a wicked liar smearing the truckers. He was the racist one circulating the document. Or another Canadian anti-hate network creep, Richard Warman, 
I don't know if you remember this, but Warman literally joined a Nazi group called Stormfront, and he posted hundreds of anti-Semitic and anti-Black and anti-gay comments online while pretending to be a right-winger. I want to know who wrote the rude emails to Rachel Gilmore. Was it Bernie Farber or Richard Warman or someone else getting funded by the liberal government? But I also want to know why Rachel Gilmore is such a liar. And doesn't she realize that when she falsely cries wolf, she's putting actual women who are actually threatened in jeopardy because people won't believe them when a wolf finally comes around? Why does Rachel Gilmore claim that a secondhand report of a Mary Screw kill joke, half a continent away, is a real death threat? Why does Rachel Gilmore believe global news is full of secret sleeper agents, reporters who falsely join global news just to stalk her today and have been waiting since 2019 to pounce? And why would she say such things in weeping tears for global news? And why would someone who hates rude strangers, leave her direct messages open for anyone to pop in and be rude unless she secretly gets some weird thrill out of it. Well, because that's her brand. Rachel Gilmore, by her own description, is a privileged, white, pumpkin spice latte girl who gets to hang out with the head of the CBC, the head of global news, and even a liberal cabinet minister. She's part of the elite, even though her chief contribution to journalism is making TikTok videos in low-cut shirts for teenage boys. Rachel Gilmore hates conservatives, and she hates when people don't applaud her. She wants the police to arrest her political enemies or at least censor them. <laughs> Rachel Gilmore is the girl who cried wolf, don't you believe her fake tears? Stay with us for more. Pound for pound, what is the best journalistic organization in the United States of America? A lot of people like Fox News, and there are sort of mini Fox Newses, whether it's one America News or Newsmax. But in terms of making a lot of results with a small team and a small budget, no one comes close to our friends at Project Veritas. They really just put microphones to leftists and progressives and liberals and Democrats, typically in a hidden camera situation when those people are being candid. And they've done a tremendous amount of work. They would have had a Pulitzer Prize by now if they weren't conservative. Well, Project Veritas has done it again. I want to play for you a short video that they recently released. And then we'll talk to R.C. Maxwell, their spokesperson, all about it. Take a look at this and we'll come right back. Un papelito que se saca como para aplicar los trabajos. Sí, sí, sí. Tienes que tener un seguro social, ¿no? Ah, sí, el seguro social. Ajá, ¿y cómo lo conseguiste? Pues se le llama una persona y él le viene a la casa. ¿Y cuánto, cuánto cobró? 150. Anyone who is recruiting and transporting minors for the purpose of labor, that is trafficking, that is a federal 
offense. Our undercover journalists traveled to Florida. There, they met 20-year-old Frander, who admitted to paying for his sponsor. And never having lived at his sponsor's address. We met a 15-year-old girl in Houston who told us she had to drop out of school to work long hours in a restaurant kitchen because she owes money to the cartels. Who was recruiting the children? How many were in this particular ring? So sometimes it requires a lot of investigations. So if it's labor trafficking, they would be following those vans to where they were taking the children to work. So in other words, Project Veritas probably has to go out and do the uh, HHS Office of the Inspector General's job for them. Ah, donde te lleven. Wow. ¿Y cuánto tiempo tiene de estar aquí? Allowing these kinds of businesses to thrive because of this labor trafficking, it's cruel and exploitative, and it's creating conditions really of slavery again in our country. I don't understand why anybody would want to move a child quickly as opposed to vetting that the place that the child is going is safe. Incredible. They really are trafficking children. And these are not women being trafficked for purposes of sexual exploitation. But of course, that happens too. That lady there, Tara Lee Rodas, was the whistleblower. It's amazing to see Project Veritas using Spanish language undercover reporters. Kids. Well, let's talk to R.C. Maxwell, a spokesperson for Project Veritas, to learn more about the story. Wow, this is terrifying. And that southern border is basically open. Now, tell us, I mean, one of those kids, 17 years old, just arrived in the last month. Help me understand the connection, R.C., between these kids and the U.S. government, because the U.S. government knows about these kids, right? You are correct. And if I can explain your audience, you guys may remember during the Trump administration, there was lots of discussion about pausing some of these minors coming into the country, not letting them essentially unite with the people who brought them over. Trump called a lot of these individuals coyotes. That caused a lot of controversy. Enter the Biden administration who took over border policy. And there was a directive through HHS, which was Field Directive 10, which preferred speed over vetting in terms of family unification. That seemed like a good thing. It was applauded by migrant organizations and it was touted by the government officials themselves. Fast forward to now, Project Veritas, we were approached by a whistleblower who actually let us know she signed up to volunteer to reunite these kids with their family members she, she said that there were suspicious flags on many of these sponsors. Many of these sponsors don't actually have to be a U.S. citizen. They don't need a traditional identification to pick up these kids. And we were, we essentially had now had to essentially do shoe leather journalism and confirm this information that these people who were sponsors were flagged for good reasons. And it turns out that they were. Huh. Um, we, our journalists hit the ground in Texas and in Florida 
And we found out that many of these kids were labor trafficked. Many of these kids were not in school. Many of these kids were in deplorable conditions. And all of this is the result of Field Guidance 10, which put these kids in situations that were questionable. And unfortunately, they are subjected to not only labor abuse, but also sexual abuse. Huh. You know, the crazy thing here is it was in the name of reunifying children with their families. But what your investigation suggests is that they're not their families. These are gangs. These are traffickers. These are, as that uh, whistleblower Tara Lee Rhoda suggested, a modern form of indentured servitude, really. Um, so it's almost like they're being placed in harm's way positively by the government. Am I getting that wrong? That they, that they, in the name of reuniting these kids with family, they've actually put them with the bad guys. Correct. Your audience may be wondering, we've heard of human trafficking before. We know there are issues with the southern border. What's new here? Well, the issue here is that since this policy has changed under Field Guidance 10, taxpayer dollars are being used not only to house these minors, but at some points in time to ship them from one facility to another so they can be picked up by their sponsor, who, as we have just uncovered, in many instances are human traffickers. So the federal government is playing a role in transporting these people over. Shocking, but what's more shocking is that the government is very aware. Tower, our whistleblower, Tara, she's a very brave woman. She's been screaming this from the mountaintops at the places she's worked within the government. She had to come to Project Veritas because not only would no one else kind of corroborate this information, but no one else were willing to listen. In fact, one horrible soundbite she got from an attorney within the government was that these traffickers aren't suing us. So it's easier to deal almost with them as opposed to the system that President Trump was having a tough time dealing with, which was the media firestorm over separating kids at the border. Huh. So these were the kids that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez cried about when they were in cages. So they've been let out of the detention facilities and put right in the hands of the traffickers. Let me ask you this. I am completely unsurprised that Tara Lee Rhoda says no one in the government cared. Here's a question. Now that the story's out there and you guys are closely watched by the other side, by other media, by the Democrats, because they know you're effective. Has there been any mainstream media, liberal media, centrist media, legacy media coverage of this story? I mean, I've seen coverage of it on Fox News, and obviously it's popular on social media. But I'm going to guess, and tell me if I'm wrong, that places like the Washington Post and the New York Times either ignore it or downplay it and say, well, yeah, this is, I mean, because I, I don't even think that they deny this is happening. They just don't want to talk about it because they're sort of cool with this. Of course, Ezra, as you know, people in the corporate media are just as fake as the smiles and the makeup that they wear during their broadcasts. They want to share human trafficking awareness day on their media, social media channels, but they would never cover a story about actual human trafficking. Number one, because it's been uncovered by an organization like Project Veritas that they detest because we reveal how sinister the motives in corporate media actually are. But number two, because particularly this story implicates the government. And as we know, the government and the media have a symbiotic relationship. One hand washes the other, one hand legitimizes the other. So the victims in this story, Maria, um, their story, and hopefully um, a, a positive end on this story is in sight. We've seen letters from senators 
And I can tell you, Ezra, I guarantee law enforcement agencies are all over this story. We've had inquiries from all sides. But most importantly, it seems like members of government at the highest levels are going to have to answer to this. As you know, subpoena power in the United States is about to flip with uh, the other party, the opposition party now taking control, which means they are going to investigate certain practices, including Field Guidance 10. They're going to want to see all the receipts. And it's going to be interesting to see if the government will become transparent on this issue or if we're going to see partisan politics unfold. Wow, very interesting. R.C. Maxwell, thanks for telling us the story. Give our best regards to the whole team at Project Veritas. We admire James O'Keefe, the founder, and we know you guys fight hard. You fight hard in the court of law also. Everyone's trying to put you down, but you have a pretty successful track record. I mean, fact is, Project Veritas gets it right, and you've done it again. So congratulations. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. All right, there you have it, R.C. Maxwell. Go to projectveritas.com. To see more, stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. I'm going to read some longer uh, letters. Let's see how many I can get through. Here's one from Alina Novak. Hi, Ezra. Could you have a show about Pierre Paglia, please? It would be best if you could interview him. But if not, then just a monologue from you is fine. I do have some concerns. I went to conservative.ca to see what his platform is, but I do not see much. Is it because PP is planning on being flexible? Max Bernier has it all laid out on his website. I think that he believes in the climate warming scam. He also did not say that he was going to decrease immigration. There are way too many new people coming in considering the current situation. No jobs, housing, or health care. Also, he should address the woke. What I mean is all that woke crap starts in schools, all the way from kindergarten to universities. The unions are woke too. You were probably aware of the pamphlet that was distributed in schools. I've looked at it before and it's full of hate, prejudices, divisiveness. The Canadian Anti-Hate Network should be looked at as well. I'm not sure if PP is up for that. If PP does not nip woke in the bud, then it will be getting only worse and worse. And it does start with the schools. The brainwashing starts there. And then it spreads everywhere like a cancer. I do not understand why the conservative leaders do not understand the importance of that. I should tell you, I did reach out to Pierre Polyev uh, asking uh, for an interview, either for myself or anyone else at Rebel News, and I have not heard back. That said, uh, he's not doing a lot of interviews. I saw him doing a sit-down with our friend Andrew Lawton at True North, so I know he does a few. Uh, maybe he's afraid of Rebel News, although I have to say he does allow us in all his events and if we come up to him with a microphone, he doesn't run away or hide. He does answer the question. I think he's just a little leery. Uh, as to um, global warming, which was one of the issues you mentioned, I think he is uh, an opponent of the carbon tax. And I don't think that he is in league with the green things. About wokeness, I don't think he's really made cultural issues his strong suit. He really was a finance critic for a while. And I think he's very strong on that. As to immigration... I don't think I've heard him comment on Trudeau's new half million immigrants a year uh, quota. The last two uh, conservative party leaders were afraid of anything to do with the immigration file. They basically said, whatever Trudeau says is fine by us. So I, I agree with you. If you want to raise wages and decrease the cost of housing, immigration is the, the most effective dial to manipulate. I'll read one more letter from Wayne Curry. He says, hi, Ezra. I was disappointed not to see Lewis Brackwell's name on the list of candidates. I assume he must have left. I don't use Twitter or Facebook, so info on his departure may have been noted on one of those sites. While I'm at it, he once had an Ask Ezra Anything special one Christmas season. It flew like a lead balloon as no one seemed curious about the rebel commander, but viewers enjoyed themselves nonetheless. 
Many are probably curious about the lives of your reporters, but you wisely protect them personally as well as privately. However, I am curious about one thing. You were engaging in a humorous rant recently by teasing William as he sat with Celine at the EA inquiry about another unknown reporter who was wearing purple. You joshed about 18-year-old William tracking down this mysterious reporter for his reviews. Is William really only 18? He seems so mature. P.S. Most rebels doubtless feel guilty about casting their vote. All candidates are so amazing. That's a great letter. Thanks very much. Uh, Lewis Brackpool did leave us on friendly terms. Um, you know, over the years, we've probably had 50 journalists pass through our halls. Some have gone on to great things. Some have gone on to non-journalistic things. Some have gone on to political things. Um, you know, um, I'd like to think that most of our alumni are on good terms with us, but, you know, sometimes it does that. Lewis, I think, did great work for us. My favorite work by Lewis was when he was at the Davos uh, World Economic Forum meeting and when he went to the, cover the Boer uprising. It is true that William Diaz Berthiome is of the tender age of 18. He actually joined us when he was 17, unbeknownst to me, but he certainly does have uh, great maturity. I do not know who the lady in purple was. I never found out, but she was not a rebel. Uh, let me just end by saying... We are bringing back that Ask the Rebels Anything Christmas special. So it's funny you say that. We're going to announce that in a day or so. We've got uh, a special website we're going to put up for that. And I, I will answer pretty much most questions, even personal questions. There are a few private things I probably wouldn't answer. But I, I don't think I'm afraid of any question. And uh, if you want to ask me some personal questions, feel free. We will have a website up for that. Um, I, I can't remember the, the URL right now. I don't think the website's up right now. But if you pay attention in the next week or so, we will have the Ask Ezra Anything website up and running. That's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.